Welcome to the Dollars and Dumbbells podcast. I'm your host, Justin Green, a certified financial planner who specializes in helping fitness entrepreneurs and millennials grow their net worth. The goal is to bring you conversations with successful individuals in the fitness industry on how they navigated their journey to success. Justin Green is the founder and financial planner at AssistFP, a financial planning firm. All opinions expressed in this show are solely those of Justin and not reflective of AssistFP. This podcast should not be considered advice. It is solely for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your financial advisor, tax, legal, and any other advisor you have before making any decisions regarding your financial plan. Welcome back. I wanted to introduce you to my guest today, Ryan Corcoran. Ryan has built a very impressive real estate portfolio over the last five to 10 years. Ryan's also a good friend, and I love that he doesn't sugarcoat how challenging real estate investing is and that it's a full-time job. Now, I do want to warn you, there's a little bit of an echo issue in this episode, uh, especially when I'm speaking, and it's mostly towards the beginning of the episode. It seems to kind of subside towards the end. So I do apologize for that. I was able to clean it up a little bit, but I couldn't fix it completely. However, this conversation was just too good to scratch, and I get a lot of questions from fitness entrepreneurs about investing in real estate. So this episode is definitely for you if that's something you've been interested in. So I'm really excited to bring you this episode today. Also, just a reminder, Ryan's not an advisor, so nothing he talks about should be considered tax, legal, or financial advice. Let's dive in. Thanks for coming on, Ryan. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Tell everyone, where are you calling in from? I am in Rhode Island right now. Uh, We moved here about a year ago because my wife said Rhode Island is the best place in the world, and here we are. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. So Ryan and I are actually personal friends. Uh, Ryan... Um, uh, is the only person I know that cannot work out for like six months, walk in the gym and look like he's been working out for the last 10 years. And so, um, very love hate relationship with Ryan, but great dude, uh, really knows his real estate. And over the last couple of years, you've really been, uh, you've been building quite the portfolio. So I've been impressed and excited to have you on to talk about real estate with the audience and, uh, learn more myself as well. You know, I have a basic understanding of investing in real estate, but you know, this is like a full-time business for you even though I, you pretend to be like a pa on the side as well i know um just for like fun that's like a hobby now right dude i haven't actually i haven't stepped into a hospital in oh 15 months maybe it's, it's been a while and i, I don't yeah even, yeah i haven't been there in a while if i went back i wouldn't know what the hell i'm doing so yeah you're also the only guy i know that goes to pa school and then immediately is like yeah dude i'm gonna <laughs> build a real estate say. empire like you put in all the hard work that it took. Like I remember when you were studying for PA school, it was like all these late nights, early mornings. And then within like a month or two, you were like building this real estate empire. <laughs> oh man. And for the record, I haven't missed a day working out in like five years. So oh, okay. Whatever you got to tell yourself over there. <laughs> All right. So give us the background a little bit. So you are now building out a real estate portfolio. Um, How'd you get started in real estate? Yeah. So um, just like the two minute synopsis, I guess I went to school, like we talked about, I got my master's degree as a PA. Uh, But after I graduated undergrad, I was looking around at all the PAs and medical professionals I saw. And, you know, man, like you go to school, you get your master's degree, you pay 160 grand to do this and you make 120 grand a year after. And I'm not saying that's bad by any means, right? That's, that's middle-class above middle-class, right? 
but my idea for like life was not is not work 24 hour shifts work overnights you know uh, always be strapped cash strapped right like barely you know save a couple thousand dollars. like it's just not I don't know for a lot for a lot of people it's the right route but for me I was just like dude I was miserable I got to the point where I was you know doing 24 hour shifts and I'd walk into a patient's room and all I'd be thinking about is the next deal and the next real estate you know transaction right so I got to the point where it, it simply wasn't fair for me to be um, you know devoting my time to critically ill patients um, yeah for sure and so yeah so I graduated undergrad I bought a duplex because I was you know I'm like oh, well I'm either gonna go rent or I'm gonna buy a house somewhere and then I'm like, well, if I rent, I, you know, it's, it's not, I could probably save some money when I rent, but if I buy this duplex, I could learn how to be a landlord, which is really what I wanted to do is start investing in real estate. Right. And so, you know, I, a lot of people say, oh, you shouldn't rent or you shouldn't buy a house. And we can talk about this later, but, um, I chose, uh, to buy the house route, um, thinking I was actually going to live in it, never actually lived in it, fixed it up, sold it and walked away with a check, uh, the size of a PA salary. And I was like, okay hold on a minute. I'm not even done PA school. I just made what I'm going to make my first year out of PA school. There's something to this, right? And so a duplex led to a triplex, which led to a five unit, which led to a 10 unit. And now, you know, now we're here, we've got 200 units, we develop real estate, we've, we have a flipping business, we wholesale, we, we do a little bit of a little bit of everything. Yeah, you're, you know, you're an individual, you're unique in the sense of a lot of people when they buy that first real estate that is intended to be a primary home, right? They're not doing it to invest, which if I remember correctly, that's what you did. Mm -hmm. They get very emotionally tied into like, they see their kids growing up here, they see their marriage yeah. growing here. And like, so they become very emotionally tied to that primary home. Mm -hmm. And I remember when you did that, and then you like sold it not that long after I was just like, wow, most people can't do that like they can't let go of that this is our first home yeah. we're gonna grow a family here like mm -hmm. type of emotion well to, to flip that a little bit if you saw the location of this duplex you wouldn't want to raise a family there uh so that was number one right it's a multi-family property <laughs> it's a multi-family property it was on a main road i mean you know one unit on top of the other uh old old property needed a lot of work so when i went into it it was i'm gonna live here super cheap and i'm just gonna save a bunch of money Right. But what, what actually happened was I bought it. I rehabbed both units and I got them rented and mm -hmm. I was making like $800 a month in cash flow in PA school. And that was like really eye opening for me because it paid for my food. It paid for my gas like that, that literally that two family paid for me to live for, for a year. And then when I sold it and like I said, I walked away with a check the size of my PA salary. I'm like, okay, well, what if I did this like a hundred times, right? Mm -hmm. Millions of dollars can just poof, right? I mean, obviously it's a business, right? You can't just, it's not that easy. Um, but, sure. but that got, but that got my wheel spinning. Um, and so I do live in a single family house now. And if I tried to move back into a multifamily house, my wife would literally kill me. Uh, yeah. I, I would be divorced <laughs> before that happened again. Uh, but if you ask her, so here's the funny thing. When we were doing it, we, we actually lived in a three family after the two family and we fixed it up and Kristen was on the floor, peeling up flooring, painting, you know, we were putting lights in. We're, doing everything, right? Doing everything ourselves. And if you ask her to do it again, she'd say no. But if you ask her if she regrets any of it, she would be, she would say, I would do that over and over and over again, because that one decision, you know, we saved up like 40 grand in like five months. And when we sold that three family, we walked away with another hundred thousand dollar check. Right. And so she, her, her vision of real estate opened up at that point. And once she was on board with it, I was able to just drastically scale.
So the um, didn't you own a, a a single family in Lunenburg as well? That was the one I was referring to. So you only yeah. lived in that one for a little bit, and then you were like, "Ah, we're gonna move to Rhode Island." So yeah, that one we flipped as well. We we lived in it, yeah. we fixed it up, and then um, yeah, actually, Kristen got a new job. That's why we sold that. Oh, one. okay, and, gotcha. And, yeah, so we we sold that one and moved down to Rhode Island. Okay, gotcha. That makes a little bit more sense. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, all right. So you kind of talk about getting started, but like, where did you get the money from to get started? All right. I had no money. And so, um, here's the big, huge, like misconception of real estate that no, number one, there's two misconceptions. You don't need real estate. You don't need money to buy real estate, which is a lie. You do need money, but, um, you don't need a ton of money. Okay. So I had $5,000 in my name, not enough to buy a property at all when you're starting. Um, so what did I do? I, I went out and asked people for money and I said, if you lend me, um, you know, the capital on this, I'll pay you back over the course of the, the lifetime of the loan with cash flow. And so I was able to convince my uncle to lend me $110,000. And I was able to convince my parents to lend me $10,000. So I combined those two, I bought the property, I spent every dime of my $5,000. And then I started collecting rent. And then when I sold it, I paid them all back off. And then I was left with, yeah, whatever, an $80,000 check on the first duplex. And so from that model of borrowing other people's capital, buying, first of all, buying a really good deal and combining other people's capital, you're able to force appreciation in a property. And then you can, when you sell it, you know, you pay back the balloons and then you're left with equity. All right. So I'm going to push back a little bit because I think people listening are probably going to be like, I don't have an uncle with $110,000. All right. Sure. So sure, where, where sure. would you go? Where would you go if you don't have family members sure. um, to help okay. out there? So I don't care who you are. Every single person who's watching this knows somebody with money. I, I literally, I don't care who you are. You, you know, somebody, it could be 20 grand. It doesn't have to be a hundred thousand dollars because mm-hmm. if you think about it, you could go to a bank and get 80% of a, of a property in a more, in a mortgage, right? So they're putting up 80% of the, pro, the, the cost. If you're buying a, say you're buying a, I don't know, $500,000 home or let's, let's use something less. It could be, let's say it's $200,000, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if someone's putting up, 160 grand of it, you need to come up with 40,000, right? So yep. you don't have to come up with 120. So everyone has somebody that they know who has money. Um, and so your job as a real estate investor is to find really good deals and combine that with capital. Now it can be your own capital. It could be somebody else's capital. It doesn't have to be a family member. It could be friends. It could be coworkers. It could be a boss. It could be, you know, people you meet. I will say that my uncle has invested one other deal with me, but I've raised like, dude, I've raised probably $6 million and he's done uh, 200,000 of it. So, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're lucky to have your uncle. I forced, I was very fortunate, but if he mm-hmm. wasn't there, I still would have been able to get it done because I would have found the money some, somewhere else. So after that, you started kind of, you know, you talk about the money you raised, you, you went, you went bigger, right? Yeah. No more duplexes, no more, no, no more duplexes, uh, no more families. Duplex. No. Yeah. Because, so talk- because, yeah, because. Like I said, I wanted to build a business out of this, right? This was where I was, number one, it was where my cash flow was coming in. I was going to live off of this. And so you can buy duplexes and triplexes all day long. But here's the problem. When you have a tenant that leaves, it takes about a month to turn it over, right? So your margins are very small. So let's say you make, I don't know, $600 a month on a three family. As soon as one unit is gone, that income is completely wiped out. And now you're negative. So now you're coming out of your pocket to pay for that unit while it's being turned over not to mention let's stay there yeah yeah let's stay there because i think that's something that a lot of people miss right so real estate is one of those topics where i feel like people 
think it's the easiest thing in the world, you know, just buy a house, rent it out. And like, it's just come money comes. Right. And I always have to bring them back to earth in the sense of like, what you just said is like, no, you got to do the math here because it just takes one month of not renting that out mm-hmm. to change the numbers. Now that's a very conservative. Now what happens if you can't rent it out for two months or mm-hmm. three months? Like, do you have the cash flow to one even like float this mortgage? You know, stuff like that. So I think that's a really good point you make there is that you really have to do the math because if the margins aren't very high, you need to be prepared for the possibility of one, two, three months of uh, unoccupied living. Correct. And so I will say that I haven't really had a vacancy longer than a month. And and because when you buy a property, you want to make sure that it's in a, a, a good location, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you're buying a property in a half decent location where you have demand, as soon as the rental is out, you've got, fl- I mean, we are flooded, c- consistently flooded with, with renters, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but I, I certainly agree with you. I mean, you have to be able to weather a little bit of a storm. And so that's why I started, I got away from duplexes and triplexes and I started doing eight unit, 10 units, uh, 36 units, stuff like that. Because if, even if five units are gone, it's still, it'll still cover it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, now fortunately if you buy a three unit and you're making $600 a month after like three months, you've got enough money in the bank to cover a vacancy for a month or two, which is the idea, right? You can never live off of this is, let's just talk about this because uh, there's a huge, like, Oh, I'm going to live off a of passive income for my cash flow And, Dude, if someone says that, they're full of shit. Like, they just, there's no friggin' way that you're living off of cash flow from a rental property. It's not gonna happen because what happens if a roof, roof goes? $15,000. That's your entire year of cash flow gone. What happens if three of them go? Right? Now you've got 45 grand to come up with. To, it's just, it's impossible. So you have to have something else to support your real estate investing. Yeah, no, I really like that point because I also think a lot of times people, and I want to actually, I'm curious, how do you find like the right area to buy in? Like, what are some of the things you look at? But because um, I, I think sometimes people, they just go for like the cheapest, which usually means one, it's probably in like poor shape or two, it's probably not in a nice neighborhood. So, mm-hmm. you know, you might get tenants that destroy the place or it might just need a lot of repairs. Mm-hmm. And that's like going to be like a, a, a bucket with a hole in it, right? You're just going to be leaking money. And so how do you like take the time to figure out if it's the right area, like what the de- like renter demand is, like are there any resources you'd recommend there? Yeah. So first thing you need to, if you're going to invest in real estate, make sure that the area you're investing in has a growing population. Um, what that tells you is that typically there's jobs coming in. Typically the education is pretty good. It's, it's a relatively safer area. Um, people want to live there, right? And so that's, that's really probably the most important demographic I would look at. Um, and in terms of buying the cheapest property, so those actually, if you're starting, it may not be a terrible move to buy the cheapest one because it's going to cash flow a lot, right? So if, you, if you're trying to replace a job or you're trying to generate more income, not a bad route, but you got to remember that those properties don't appreciate like a property in a B or an A class area do. And the real wealth in real estate is when you hold a property over time. It's not just buying a property and then selling it right away. It's buying a property, holding it for five, 10 years and watching it double and triple in value. And that appreciation is where you become extremely wealthy. It's not the cash flow. The cash flow keeps you above the water as it's growing growing appreciation. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're more focused on appreciation and then just kind of flipping them rather it's, than- it's, like- bo- it's, it's both, right? So I won't buy a property if it doesn't cash flow because then I'm coming out of my pocket every month, right? That doesn't make sense, right? 
Um, and so also if I'm raising money, I need to make sure that the deal is going to make enough cash flow to pay, to pay the investor that. every month. Right. But I don't want to invest in a D area or an F area. And what I mean by that is, you know, we have a class B class C and D, right? So D is like the hood. Who's C, rating those? It's, it's like a subjective opinion, really. Okay. Like for example, like summer, like downtown Cambridge, let's go. That would be an A class area. A mm -hmm. B class area might be. Oh, I don't know. Um, uh, some area in Chumpsford, Massachusetts, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's not that close to Boston, but still relatively expensive. Value is probably going to increase pretty mu uh, quite often. Mm -hmm. And then C, I don't know if people know Massachusetts, but be like <laughs> areas of Fitchburg, right? Mm -hmm. But D is also Fitchburg. Uh, and so, yeah, so that you, I try to stay in the B area. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. I once heard someone talk about, uh, he was a real estate investor and he was, he looks at U-Haul data. So he looks at U-Haul data to see where people are moving into, like the trends of, and I think uh, when I had listened to this, he was talking about like uh, a lot of people had moved from Cali to Austin. Yep. Um, so you could like see U-Haul data and I'm not really sure where you get that from, but you could see that there was a lot of U-Hauls being rented that were getting dropped off in Austin, Texas, yeah. which showed that like there was, you know, an population incoming population. Yeah. yeah. I thought I was like, wow, that's like genius. I wouldn't yeah, have that's thought super of that. Interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. super interesting. I don't know where you get that data, but it was, yeah. he was a, I can't remember who it was, but he was a big real estate guy. And, uh, I just thought, yeah, I was like, dude, that's, that's genius. Cause yeah. you know, where else do you really get the, Like, how do you know people are moving in? Like, that's a really good, like one that people wouldn't think of. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So <laughs> it's very interesting. If you were a beginner though, where, where do you think you would focus? Like if you could go back, well, one, is there any regrets on how you started getting into real estate? Uh, is there anything you would do differently? Um, I am very fortunate that I started the way I did, but I also, if I were to start over, I would think a lot bigger, a lot faster. You know, it's, instead of getting you know stuck on the two families and, and three families and you know even like five units. I know it seems like a lot to a lot of people, but real estate is massive, right? Like you can buy a thousand unit apartment complex, right? So I, I would just think a little bit bigger. Um, I probably would have shaved a few years off of my investing if I um, had sped it up a little bit and, and thought a little bit bigger, a little sooner. Um, but, you know, I, I don't regret anything because I learned how to do everything myself. I learned how to manage everything myself. Um, now, obviously, I don't do any of that. I, you can't possibly do that with that with a 200 units. But, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it taught me each level on the way. Uh, but I just think that if I were to do it over again, instead of trying to buy, you know, a three family, I would try to find, you know, maybe partner up. I'd, honestly, what I would do is I'd partner up earlier because once I started partnering with people, my my net worth, my income, my scalability, everything just like 8x in like like that. Um, and so, you, but if you're going to get into real estate, you got to understand that it's a full-time job all the time. And so there's no such thing as sitting back and just collecting a check unless you, unless, unless you take your capital money, your money, and you're investing it into some sort of deal where you are a passive investor. And so that is a good route for somebody who wants to invest in real estate who doesn't want to deal with it. I, on the other hand, like the active side of it because I can manipulate real estate. I can control real estate. I literally can control how much money I make from it. I can get creative as I want to um, and make more money from it and live, live a, uh, you know, an abundant life through that um, and not use much of my own capital, which is another plus. We're going to dive into a couple of different things you just said. First, I want to know, do you think that, oh, I'm trying to word this so you can answer it without feeling like egotistical. 
Do you think that everyone can be really good at like the active side of invest, um, investing in real estate? Or do you feel like you've got an edge that some people don't when it comes to the real estate investing? Like you said, you can kind of manipulate the market to do kind of things you want it to do. Do you feel like anyone can learn how to do that? A hundred percent, dude. I yeah. am just a normal dude. Like you've known me for a while. I have nothing yeah. really special about me. I, I, what, I literally, what, like, I, I'm just an average dude, right? And so anybody can do it. It just, it takes a lot of resilience and you need to be able to, essentially you need to be, it's like any entrepreneurial adventure. You need to be able to do a lot of legwork for a lot of years before you start seeing any result. And so a lot of people look and say like, dude, you're 28 years old. How the hell are you in the position you're in like that? I'm like, dude, I started when I was 21. I've been doing this for seven years. Like it's been, a, it's been a while. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's been a long time and I've learned a ton of stuff doing it. But at the same time, I think anybody can do it. You just have to have a very, you have to also have to have a very high risk tolerance. You have to be able to, you know, borrow money and be in so much debt that you can never pay off. Like the amount of debt I'm in, I would have to make millions and millions of dollars per like month to pay it off. Right. And it's not mm -hmm. going to happen. Uh, and so, but, but that debt makes me money and that's what a lot of people can't wrap their head around. The, uh, so I want to shift this a little bit. So you said it's a full-time business and, and why I got so focused on that is the audience tuning in are also business owners. They have their health and fitness business, but a lot of times they're talking about also investing in real estate. And so I want to talk about like, what are some ideas for a business owner who is building a different business who does not have the time mm -hmm. to invest in real estate. Now, obviously you're biased and I'll bias. You'd probably be like, you know, build a real estate business. It's more lucrative. But anyways, <laughs> so let's assume they are super passionate and love what they're doing with the business yeah. on the health and fitness side. And they want to invest in real estate to supplement it and rather than build a real estate business. What are some ideas for them and how they could get started to maybe create a small portfolio that does just exist alongside, you know, the, the fitness business they're building? Okay. Number one, if you've already got capital, you have a leg up, right? So if you're building a business and it's generating revenue and you want to park that somewhere to make, to, to get a return on your money, but what I would do is try to find somebody who is investing in real estate and say, here's 30 grand, here's 40 grand, let's buy a deal together. Um, and you, you run it and I'll, you know, I'll put, I'll give my, put my money into it. Right. So that's one way you can start scaling. Um, the second way is, you know, to buy a, a three family or a five family, it's not going to be that much time. Like, like, honestly, man, you don't get that many phone calls about toilets. You don't get that many phone calls about headaches. Right. And the, what I would say is hire a property management company. Right. So when you're analyzing a real estate deal, hire a property management company and budget that five to 10 percent um, on your net profit on your gross profit that goes to the property management company. They handle everything. You know, you have to stay on top of them. So you, like that's why it's not passive. Right. You still have to manage somebody no matter what in real estate. You even if you have a property manager, everything's taken care of. You have to stay on top of that property manager. Otherwise, things can get out of control. Right. They don't own the property. You do. And so you, mm -hmm. you really have to stay on top of them, and make sure things are, are running correctly. Um, but honestly, a handful of properties for somebody who's, who's doing a full-time job or another business is really not that far out of reach. I, I was doing it, right? I was working a PA, as a PA full-time and mm -hmm. I had, I had a hundred units when I uh, working a full-time job. Um, but again, partnerships allowed me to do that. Would you stay local or would you, are you like, is, do you have any thoughts on that? Like staying, not in your level, but if you were someone doing, you know, small time, yeah. you know, you're looking um, local, yeah. you look looking nationwide, you look in mm -hmm. destination um, areas for like Airbnb, short-term rentals. We can get that, get into that as well. So 
what's so let me just so what i focus on really is long-term rentals flips and mm -hmm. development projects okay and so i don't really do short-term rentals and i don't really get engaged in like retail and office buildings and all that kind of stuff um maybe down the road i will but when i started i was hyper local i started in my own town and then i bought another one in that same town right and i it was an advantage for me because I was five minutes away at all times. However, it, it, it brings you into bad habits. And mm -hmm. I'm gonna, what I mean by that is you buy a property that's three hours away and something goes wrong, you can't go there. So you're forced to build a system to take care of that. Okay. And so like, yeah, so you have to have a property manager. You have to have a system that, you know, gets the tenant's record and, and sends it back to the property management company. You have to get a report from them. You have to have a contractor. You have to have everybody in place there because you can't be there. And so what that allows you to do is now that one building runs so pristine because you can't be there to fix things that you can take that model and buy another one and just hand that building to the same people. And now you've got a model that you can scale. And so I don't say invest local because it's better. I think investing local, maybe the first one's a good idea, but if you do go far away, know that you are going to be much more, um, you're going to be much more systemized and, and things are going to run a lot better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to force you away. to, Correct. yeah, it's going to like force you to have that system in place Correct. Um, that you might not, you might not put in place if it's local. Right. That's, a, that's interesting. I never thought about that, but yeah. Because uh, yeah. I think a lot of people are concerned usually if it's too far away of like, well, then I have to get a property management company and, you know, I have to figure out who's going to like go repair mm -hmm. things if something goes wrong. And, um, you know, my in-laws have places down in, in Florida. One's a long-term rental, one's a short-term. And um, so I've seen some of the things that pop up and, you know, there are some challenges being that far away. I mean, Oh, uh, like sure. you said, like you have to, you have to stay on top of the property management, the cleaners, like for the short-term rental, the cleaning companies are, are like always coming and going. Like you have to make sure they actually showed up. Like that can be a pain. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why'd you decide to not, uh, to not do any short-term rentals, just no money in it too much, too much management. There's actually, so, well, number one, there's a lot of management, but I'm yeah. not really not worried about that because you can hire a company to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot, if you haven't catch, if you haven't caught on yet, I like to, whenever I do something, I try to pull myself out of it and hire someone to do the job that I was doing, um, to allow me to keep growing. But the other reason I didn't do short-term rental is because there's a lot of regulation on short-term rental right now. Like you hear mm. about it all the time, like towns aren't allowing you to do it. Hawaii, like three of the islands in Hawaii, just <laughs> no more short-term rentals. So if you own a short-term really? rental, yeah, if you own a short-term rent, I mean, like there's some areas that are designated for it, but some of them. Um, they were just pulled. And so now you own a property that you bought for a short-term rental that now you can't rent, right? Um, oh, that's interesting. Now there are ways around that. Like you can rent it for more than 30 days, which isn't technically a short-term rental. Okay. Um, and now it's a month-long rental, which probably you can also probably make more money. Uh, and so I'm really a firm believer that if you're a, an entrepreneur and you're, you buy something and, and someone flips a switch on you, um, you'll find a way to make it work uh, just because that's what we do. That's what we do every day. Um, but those are the reasons I haven't done that yet. And, and I like the long-term rentals because number one, I barely pay any taxes. Like, uh, and I don't want to, I don't want people to think that I'm ripping the system off. This is right? not but, tax advice. No, I am not a CPA. <laughs> I am not an advisor, but you know, let's just give an example. If I have a million dollar property and it makes me a hundred thousand dollars a year, or let's let, no, that's, that's extreme. Let's say it makes me 30 grand a year. Okay. And I can write that off that building, that million dollar building over 37 Clarify, years. 30 grand a year in cash flow. In net, yeah, in net profit. Okay, gotcha. Okay. So if I make Excuse thirty me. grand a year on a ten-unit property, let's say, 
And I have 37 years to write that off because it's commercial size property, right? So that what that means is they take that million dollars, they break it down into divided by 37 and whatever that number is, that's how much I get to depreciate off of the building every year. Let's just use for shits and giggles that they allow me to do, I don't know, $40,000 a year. I can, I can write off, right? Mm-hmm. So that 35, that 30 grand I just made, I'm not paying any income tax on that because my depreciation covered that entire amount of income. Okay. Right. So now you start, you can start snowballing this where if you make a couple hundred thousand dollars a month, you're not paying any tax on that. Now you get slammed with taxes when you start flipping property and wholesaling property. And the day I sell that property, I'll get hit with taxes. But, um, but yeah, it's a huge tax advantage to own long-term rentals. So that's, yeah, that's, that's um, one of the other reasons. Cause they recapture that depreciation upon correct. sale, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That a lot of people get caught off guard by that. I'm not going to pretend like I have a, 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 a really advanced knowledge base on that. I know the basics around yeah. real estate and taxes, um, but I haven't gone that that in depth in it. Uh, but I do know that's one thing that catches people off guard is that depreciation yeah. recapture when they mm-hmm. sell an asset. Yeah. Um, so that's good to mention. But there yeah. are a lot of tax benefits to. So the way that the way the tax code works, right, is it's set up to incentivize you to do certain things. People don't realize that, but that's what the tax code is doing. If the government wants you to do something, they will put tax incentives in there to incentivize you to do it. And so owning real estate is incentivized, you know, even just a primary real estate, you know, uh, mortgage interest deductions, Mm -hmm. et cetera, Mm -hmm. property tax deductions. Um, And then if you actually own like investing in real estate, there's a lot of tax benefits. And then same with business owners, you know, outside of real estate, there's a lot of tax benefits there because the government wants you to own real estate. They want you to own businesses. They want you to do all these things. So they're going to make the tax code your friend to allow you to do that, even though most people still complain about taxes. And why do they, why do they want you to do that? Because every time you buy a piece of real estate in in my world, every time I buy a piece of real estate, I have now created jobs. I have now Mm -hmm. given somebody a place to live. Um, Mm -hmm. And so those are the two major things that are driving economy, right? More jobs, housing. And so what they allow you to do, and this is crazy. um, You can buy a property and do what's called a cost segregation study. And I know we're yep. getting pretty deep into the study. No, no, no yeah, yeah, yeah. We can keep this. going with that. Yeah, yeah, because I've heard of those and uh, so, I'm pretty familiar. So if you spend more than 500, I think it's 500 hours a year in real estate. Uh, so let's say you have a full-time job and you spend 500 hours a year working on, say, buy a couple of rental properties. Mm-hmm. You can do a cost segregation study, which basically breaks the property down into all the components outside of the land. So we're talking mm-hmm. the walls, the roof, the, the chimney, if there's one, the, everything, right? So that all depreciates, right? But they, it, it's called accelerated depreciation. And so you can take like a very large percent of that and write it off year number one. And what that now does is, so let's say that, let's take that million dollar property and that has $30,000 of, of net income and cash flow. Well, now let's say the first year we're writing off $200,000 instead of 40,000, like we talked about before. That hundred and seventy thousand dollars that I did not use goes to all the other all the other income I made that year because I'm a real estate professional. It it wipes those taxes out. Okay, so I essentially have a, a uh, less of a tax liability from that. And so what that does is allows me to go buy more real estate and pay no pay less taxes on it. Right? I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, and and you know if you're looking at doing a cost segregation study, you know definitely contact an advisor or a oh, tax for advisor. Sure. <laughs> Don't uh, contact me. <laughs> uh, probably don't even contact me. Well, you can contact me. I'll get you into the right person's hands. Um, 
But essentially what it's doing is that you're right. It's breaking down the elements. So like, you know, most people, when they think of buying a property, it's the building, the land and every fixture in between. And that is just one thing. But the cost segregation says, no, 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 no. That's land. That's building. It's the stuff in the building. Yeah, and essentially, maybe yeah, something it's, else. Right, it's saying know? that the, the and, roof and, isn't going to last 37 years, right? So maybe the roof lasts 10 years. And right, so you and write so, it off much faster. Exactly. And so those some of those items can be depreciated much mm-hmm. quicker, which mm-hmm. is essentially what you're doing. Um, yeah. Like yeah, I said, but, you would contact your advisors. Probably doesn't make sense if, you, if you're like doing like very little real estate. But yeah. I know once you get deeper into it, that's yeah, that can be a yeah. very valuable strategy. But it costs money to do the study as well. Oh yeah, um, so it you, does. Have, you have yeah, to do well, the yeah. like. Yeah, yeah you gotta. Yeah. What, what is? I don't know how much it costs. Is it like pretty decent, honey? Or um, I'll give you. I bought one of the buildings I did this year. Just just one of them cost me eight grand. Um, and so I do that across. Is it one buildings. of those things like it's based on the value of the building or? Yep, based on the okay. value. Yep, and how much gotcha. work they have to do. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I didn't mean to go on a tangent on this. It's, it's just one of the benefits of owning real estate. And if, you know, if you're a, you're a fitness entrepreneur, uh, or, or a, you own a restaurant or you own uh, a, a retail store, or you are a doctor, I don't care what you're doing. Um, I'm a firm believer that real estate is the best way for someone to build long-term wealth. And literally all you have to do, seriously, buy a multifamily property, stay on top of it, manage a manager. And watch it appreciate over 10, 15, 20 years. And from literally like a handful of properties, you will become a millionaire doing nothing. Like literally, I'm not saying hands off. Not right? nothing. We, we talked about this. Don't say we, nothing. We, we did talk about this. Uh, but to me, like one at this point, one property is like, you know, you're just adding it onto the, the belt, right? It's just another tick on the belt, right? I have a management company in place. I have a team that can handle it. And so that's the goal, right? For anybody who's not in real estate is to try to get to a point where you can buy real estate and have a have it taken care of for the most part. Yeah. The, the odds of the real estate appreciating over the long term are pretty high. It's not yeah. guaranteed. Nothing's ever yeah. guaranteed in yeah. life, uh, but it's pretty high. And so it can, it, it is a decent way to, to build wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, going back to the example, if someone wanted to get started, where do they find that first deal? So I've heard you talk a lot about like, yeah, they're hidden. They're not, you know, they're not always listed. Like you've got to find them. The first two properties I bought were on the MLS. And so okay. I'm going to, if you are looking for your first, let's say you're renting right now. Uh, I don't know. You've got, maybe you got a wife. You don't have any kids yet. Maybe, maybe you're, you want to buy your first property, but you're starting another business, right? Honestly, what I would do is I would buy a multifamily property and I would live in it and I would suck it up for a year. Uh, and I, I know it's going to sound miserable living in a three family with a bunch of people you don't know. You're going to have to hear them over you. The parking's crap. You live in a shitty location. I don't really care. Like that one year will jumpstart the rest of your financial career. And That's what they call house to, hacking, right? Correct. You have to be you have to be willing to sacrifice for a little bit. Um, but honestly, man, it's not that bad. Like if you're renting in the first place, like first of all, it, typically it's not be a beautiful place that you're renting. And if you are renting in a beautiful place, you're paying a pretty penny for it. Right. So I, I can probably guarantee that you'll, it'll be cheaper for you to live in a three family. I'm not saying it's for everybody. Um, but that is what I would do if I were starting off in real estate. So that's, the that, that is how a lot of people start. Yeah. That's a good yeah, idea. For sure. House hacking is a very common way to get into real estate because yep. you're there, you're local. If something does happen with the other two apartments, you're on scene, uh, yeah, maybe and it doesn't honestly, help you man, build those systems yet, but like it's a the, good introduction. The worst case scenario is you absolutely hate it and you rent the unit that you live in and now you have a freaking property. 
right? You can move out if you want to, or you sell it, right? That you can, you can pretty much always reverse something. Um, and so the next step I would do is if you don't want to do that and you live in a house already, you maybe have a family and it's not feasible for you to live inside of an apartment, which I totally understand. Um, find a really good real estate agent, try to find and network with people who are in the real estate space, go to real estate meetups. That that's probably one of the biggest things you could do is start networking with people who are in the space. You don't have to own property to go there, but when you show up there, you're going to have people who are miles ahead of you in knowledge of real estate that you can leverage now. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's what I would do if I was looking to start off. Yeah, it's always a good idea to find a room to hang out in where you're like the least knowledgeable. Oh man, dude, you can I could go lot. on for days about that. Yeah, you that's can all. That's literally all we did. That's that's our job as an entrepreneur is to always be the stupidest person in the room, so you're consistently moving forward, so you're consistently uncomfortable, uh, and then yeah, your mind just starts keep opening up to new ideas. Absolutely, because yeah, you meet people who are on levels above you, and you're like they're doing things you didn't even, you never would have even dreamed of. And yeah. they're like, that's like the base baseline for them. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't want, I don't want to drag this, this point on, but when I moved here to Rhode Island, um, I joined a mastermind down here and that's not just real estate. Like one guy owns a plumbing business. One guy owns a management company. Uh, another guy owns a restaurant. Right. So, and they're all young. We're all in our third, we're all late twenties, early thirties. <laughs> And we're sitting down and we were like, all right, what are your goals for the year? And mine, I said my goal, I, forgot, I think I said, Ali, I want 250 units by the end of the year. The guy next to me goes, yeah, I want to make a million dollars a month. The guy next to me, the, the guy next to that goes, I've made $2 million and it's January and I need to get to 10 by June. And I'm like, dude, what? Like, like my mind was blown, right? And now yeah. since, since then, I've partnered with all six of those guys on deals. My income has increased. My, everyone who I'm around is everyone's elevated. It's just crazy, man. Like that's, it's probably the number one thing anybody can do in any business is to just get around people doing things that you can't even like wrap your head around. Yeah. Just get in the room. Just find a way to get in. Correct. The room. Even if you have mm -hmm. to pay to do it, like I pay to get in the room with people. I don't care. Like getting in the room is huge. Yeah. All right, man. Final two questions. I ask everyone, uh, this doesn't have to be real estate, but what is the most irrational emotional thing you've done with money? Oh man, dude. I am a car guy. I like, I, I, I just have purchased cars for no reason. Like, and I, <laughs> I regret it like right after and I'll either sell it or, or maybe I won't. Like I, my, my dreams to have a car collection. Right. So I've got, I'm growing that right now. Uh, but yeah, that's the most reckless thing I do. I will spend money on cars. <laughs> cars is a very common answer. Not yeah. in your, not in the sense of like collecting cars, but a lot of times people, cars, cars get people right. They, yeah. Even as a financial advisor, I know I had to buy a car in 2018 when mine died yeah. and I went into the dealership and I was like, I left when I left, I just looked at my wife now and I was like, I really get it. Like I get how they get people. Like they almost got me. Like I can get it. And she actually, could it, could it she helps worse, me. Like, what do you mean? You spend, could you spend money on worse things? Like, like I'm, I'm not saying it's a good, financially it's a good decision. Yeah. I mean, like, I get you. I get you. But like when people... If you can't afford it, then yeah, oh, that's a different story, dude. You know what I mean? You, you like, gotta have if they, like rules. Yeah, if they get you, you to, you know, I'm thinking of like I just saw the other day circulating on social media was like this car dealership did like a TikTok or something and like went around to the employees and like, hey, what's your car payment? You know, what's your car payment? Everyone yeah. was like thirteen, fourteen hundred plus. Yeah, and I was just like, man, are we really trying to normalize that? Like, that's I a high a, car payment. A, I have a rule that I stick by. I will not buy any type of vehicle, whether it's financed or I, I buy it outright, if I am not 
first of all, if I'm spending more than 10% of my income on it, I won't buy it. And if I don't make five times the car, then I won't buy it. So right there, like if I'm going to buy a hundred thousand dollar vehicle, I've got to be making over 500 grand a year for one yeah. car. Right. And right. so, and that's the thing. So there's levels, right? So it depends on what you're making. If you're, if you know, if you're making good money and you want to spend a little bit more on a car, totally fine. Absolutely. But I agree. one, I used to say don't buy brand new, but then the market kind of flipped a little bit. So it was actually <laughs> buy for a, a, new one. For a while. Get, if you could get like an allocation, it was cheaper to buy a new car than it was to buy a used one. <laughs> yeah, it was weird. So I don't really say that anymore. Originally, that was always my thought. And even when I bought, actually, it made sense for me to buy a new one. Um, and I did like an 18 when the 19s were coming out. Yeah. And so like the 18s were heavily discounted. Yeah. But anyways. Yeah. Um, all right. Last question. You're sitting in front of a financial planner. What's one financial question you would have? All right, I my knowledge on the stock market, the uh, bond, all that kind of stuff, man. I haven't focused a ton of time in that. So if I'm in, sitting in front of a financial advisor, it's okay. If I have, let's say, I got a couple hundred thousand dollars, I want to invest in the stock market. Where do I even start? So yeah, the the couple things you would want to look at is. What is your goal? Like, what's your goal of the account? Um, and tie it back to that, right? Because there's different types of accounts. There's retirement accounts that you're going to be penalized if you touch before retirement. Uh, there's like a brokerage account, which could be very flexible and, you know, could come in handy down the road if you needed it for a real estate deal for, you know, use that example. Um, so the first thing you want to do is figure out what do you need the money for and how, what is the time period? Is it three years, 10 years, 20 years? Three years, don't touch the, the stock market. Anything under five years, you probably don't want to touch it. It's too risky uh, year to year. Like over the long term, it's got a pretty good track record, you know, eight to 10% annualized over the long term. Uh, year to year, three out of every 10 years, it's going to be down. You don't know which three years those are going to be, right? So anything short term, you don't really want to mess with that. You want to keep that kind of liquid and out of the markets, right? So that's that's the first, uh, the first two things. Uh, what type of account you think you need? Uh, your time period. And then the third one is honestly like figure out what type of risk you can handle for you. I already know you're pretty, I was risky. just about to say, let's say yeah. I don't need the money and I'm super risky. <laughs> yeah. So in that sense, like you're probably going to be looking at almost a nine, like sometimes like a 90 to hundred percent stock portfolio. Mm -hmm. And honestly, for someone who either hasn't looked into it that much or like just wants it to kind of sit there and do its thing without yeah. you handling it, yeah. you want to look at like low cost index funds. Um, so, you know, I'm not in the business giving specific investment advice on the podcast, but those are the things you would want to look at. Like yeah. what type of uh, low cost fund could I just sit there and park it in? Um, and you could look at, you know, there's there's U.S. stock funds, there's large cap uh, which is going to be like a little bit more stable, a little less risk, which means less return. Mid caps and, and small caps are usually, um, they're a little riskier because they're smaller companies, but they when they're growing, they're going to grow faster. So there's a chance for a higher return. Uh, to be honest with you, the market right now sucks. We're down like 20%, which is yeah. honestly a good time to buy, buy right. because you buy low, sell high. That's the name of the game. Unfortunately, yeah. human behavior like does the opposite, right? Whenever people start, whenever people start coming out of the woodwork to ask me about investing, it's because something is really high. 
yeah. hey dude, should I be investing in Tesla? Uh, oh yeah, it went up. Oh, it went up ten percent today. A, it's yeah. at an all time high. Okay. Yeah. Yo, should I be in GameStop? Uh, it's at three hundred fifty dollars a share, and the company's like terrible. You know what I mean? So yeah. like, human behavior is always driven by that emotion. They're like, oh, it's doing really well. Maybe I should buy. When it, it's actually the reverse. Like, you know, things are struggling right now. It's not a bad bad time to uh, maybe put some money in there. Now, to be yeah. honest with you, for someone building a real estate business. Uh, your returns might be better, to be honest well, with you. you know, man, but, my, it's, but it's a business, you know what I mean? Like right, if you, right. It would be more about diversification for you. Correct, correct. Um, it would be correct. more about just like, you know, having something that's not 100% correlated with the real estate market. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it, it, yeah. may, it may not pace your returns, uh, but if the real estate market tanks, like maybe the stock market doesn't yeah. go hand in hand. Sometimes yeah. it does, sometimes it yeah. doesn't. Yeah, I, I know we have to wrap this up. I, I want to just end with one point because I... So the reason I brought that up is because sure I don't I don't know the stock market that well I have some I have some capital in it and it's doing fine but I can't I don't have time to pay attention to it and I just want to stress that so a lot of people say millionaires and everyone is super successful have a bunch of streams of income and that's true they do at some point but dude to make a million dollars and to become wealthy and successful in your business you have to focus on one friggin thing until you're so goddamn good at that where it can run on autopilot before you can start like doing a hundred different things because someone else is going to beat you, right? You're just not going to grow. You're not going to grow and you're not going to, it's almost impossible. <laughs> Focus I agree on one thing. I agree a hundred percent with you. And, and that's usually when I have fitness business owners who start to think too much about real estate. I try and remind yeah. them, uh, do not take your attention away from the business that you've already spent Correct. five years growing. Correct. Um, and I'll leave it on one thing. There's a comment saying it's, um, concentration will get you rich. Diversification will keep you wealthy. Correct. All right, man. Let everyone know where they can find you and learn more. All right, man. Um, I have a terrible relationship with social media. I'm starting to grow it. Um, so Instagram, TikTok at RJ Corcoran 08. And then I started a YouTube channel. So if anybody wants to learn about real estate, please jump in there, learn something that the point of it is, uh, you know, to give away as much information as I can so people can do what I do. Appreciate you, brother. All right, man. Thanks.